Welcome to the Plenty of Gas Podcast, the podcast with plenty of great Australian stories. I'm your host Luke Sutton and today's story is entitled Boring Town. But before we get into today's story, I thought I'd ask you a question which I'll answer at the end of the podcast. And my question for you today is this. Now Adelaide is known as the City of Churches, so how many churches are contained within the city? Now I'll make it multiple choice. Is it A, 1 to 10, B, 11 to 20, C, 21 to 30, or D, more than 30 churches? And as I said, I'll answer that at the end of the podcast. But now, time for today's story. South Australia amongst the younger generation usually has the reputation of being a bit more boring than all the other states of Australia. Personally, I don't believe this. South Australia has a lot of interesting stories and places. Granted, we don't have all the dangerous animals that the other states have, and we don't have theme parks or snow or natural world wonders. But we are known for our serial killers. So how boring can we really be? However, nothing in South Australia captures more the meaning of the term boring than a little town called Salt Creek, which I have nicknamed Boring Town. It's one of those destinations you drive through to get somewhere more meaningful. Salt Creek has one general variety store slash petrol station on one side, and scrubland known as the Coorong on the other, and that is pretty much about it. So you could even call this a one-sided town. But this was not always the case. In fact, back in its heyday, it was a buzzing town. It was the place to be. It was going off. Our story begins in 1852, when a strange and unusual rubber-like substance began to appear on the sands of Salt Creek. This unknown material felt like jelly. It was later somehow discovered that if you ever burnt it, then it would give off a heavy sooty smoke, and a strange indescribable odour. Some creative people began to sell the stuff by turning them into candles and advertising them as oil cakes or also known as bun gums. In fact, not soon then after, people began to speculate that this strange unknown substance might be an actual byproduct of oil itself or an indicator that oil might be located somewhere close by. It was now thought to be either weathered crude oil or the product of oil seeps in the vicinity. So in 1866, an article appeared in the Adelaide Observer, the current newspaper at that particular time, which stated, It is rumoured that a valuable discovery of petroleum has been made somewhere in the vicinity of the Coorong. This announcement sure did create some serious traffic to the area. After all, just several years earlier, the world's first large-scale commercial oil, which was located in Pennsylvania, had in fact been sunk. This meant as many keen 
tycoons had already gathered that since imported kerosene was now scarce, a vast potential fortune could be made if oil was ever discovered locally. From all this hype, a company was subsequently formed known as the Kurong Kerosene Company. Leases were taken out and an investigator was sent down to examine and report back if there was any genuine claim to this notion of oil being in the Kurong. The investigator was a man called Eustace Mitford, a well-established and qualified mineral examiner. After an exhaustive month, his report firmly stated that the cake deposits which had evidently risen from below as a result of oil seeps indicate an enormous oil reservoir waiting for extraction. In fact, he even went as far as to estimate that perhaps a million tons of oil had been projected there from a subterranean source. Other men with money knowledge began to confirm that this unknown substance was in fact cow chook, and one tonne of that substance was believed to produce around 100 gallons of crude oil, from which about 70 gallons of kerosene could be obtained and refined, and about 30 gallons of lubricating oil could be further extracted. However, all of these calculations were based on their knowledge of American caoutchouc, and no one knew for certainty if the South Australian version, which was now called Kurungite, was of equal quality. Still, having been presented with this positive news, there was much rejoicing in Salt Creek. Yay! And the first drilling operation began in 1866 at a place called Alfred Flat. Their expectations were that liquid gold would probably be struck at a shallow depth. But, much to everyone's frustration, after having drilled to the depth of 7.6 metres, nothing was discovered, and the drilling apparatus which they had invested in was unable to go any deeper. The dig site was abandoned, and there was much moaning and groaning at Salt Creek. Boo! Six years later, in 1873, the company tried again. Under a new name, they were now known as the Kurong Petroleum Company. With the word petroleum in their name, they no doubt now showed that they had a more serious and dedicated approach to finding oil. Previously, as far as they were concerned, they had hardly even scratched the surface. This time, they had a new amount of invested money involved and better equipment. So again, there was much rejoicing at Salt Creek. Yay! But yet again, after a whole year and reaching the total depth of 25 feet, they still provided no positive results. Everyone again abandoned Salt Creek after much moaning and groaning. Boo! Regardless of these preliminary setbacks, experts continued to reiterate that there was definitely oil down there, It just meant that they had to go even deeper 
than they had originally thought. As far as they were concerned, the problem was machinery. Couple this with the fact that the people they had thus far employed were evidently inadequate to handle and deal with the sheer magnitude and expertise needed to accomplish this evidently complicated level of earth mineral extraction. In 1880 they were back. And so again there was much rejoicing at Salt Creek. Yay! Now they had the professionals with them. They even formed a new company. They were now called the Salt Creek Petroleum Oil Prospecting Company. Surely with a name like that they would have to find oil. Part of this new professional approach was the hiring of Captain Matthews, an extremely experienced American oil well sinker. When he arrived at Salt Creek, he too was very optimistic, stating the similarities to the country he had just been working in, and this one. Matthews straight away started drilling with the most superior set of drilling equipment which he could find. Now they could drill up to depths of 170 feet, with ease. However, still no oil, just clay, slate, rock and sandstone. Even J.B. Austin, official author of the mines of South Australia, made declaration that was definitely oil waiting to be found. So, undeterred, they continued to drill ever so slowly. Then in 1881 the company announced that they were down to 350 feet and that they had finally come across the mysterious black stuff again and white shale with hints of oil and gas in it. This seemed like the breakthrough they were patiently waiting for. The tycoons were beginning to have their ears tickled with this good news and so again there was even more rejoicing at Salt Creek. Yay! However, nine months later they found themselves at a depth of 560 feet and still had nothing further to report. Soon when they got down to the depth of 660 feet their drilling bit became firmly stuck, and so they had to stop drilling in that area. They made a few more foolhardy attempts, but they all amounted to nothing. So yet again, there was much moaning and groaning as Salt Creek. In 1888, the Parapara Petroleum Prospecting Company and in 1889, the Para Oil and Prospecting Company decided to give it a go. So again, there was much rejoicing in Salt Creek. Yay! Yet even all their efforts produced absolutely nothing. And as you would probably guess by now, there was much moaning and groaning in Salt Creek. Boo! By 1903, the Department of Mines had issued over 295 search licenses, 
which were being conducted over a 913 square metre patch. In 1913, the Australian government decided that an incentive was needed, so they now offered a further reward of £5,000 for any company which was able to produce 100,000 gallons of crude petroleum. And various companies really did begin to snap at this opportunity. Starting in 1915, when the South Australian Oil Wells Company began to drill seven wells in the vicinity, ranging from 256 and 687 metres. And a very large well, which resulted with them at the distance of 917 metres, striking an inflammable liquid. And so again hopes were raised, and there was much rejoicing at Salt Creek. Yay! Yet when they got down to 1,373 metres, nothing further to report and there was much moaning and groaning at Salt Creek. Boo! In between 1923 to 1934, a whole range of companies decided it was time for them to give it a try, and so there was again much rejoicing in Salt Creek. Yay! On the scene now was the Associated Oil Company, the Southern Ocean Oil Company, the Point Addis Oil Wells Company, the Oil Search Limited, the Amalgamated Oil Wells, who all drilled a well each, ranging from 357 to 811 metres, and even two companies who decided to work together, the Kurong Oil Company and the Enterprise Oil Company, who drilled six wells in total ranging from 137 to 284 metres. But, you guessed it, nothing. And there again was much moaning and groaning at Salt Creek. Boo! After all this, it was finally agreed that there is no underground reservoir waiting to be tapped into. And even the original blackish unknown substance which started it all was identified to be nothing more than dried residue of algae. How humbling. In 1986 a replica oil derrick was placed at Salt Creek. It now serves as a memorial to a generation of brave and enterprising pioneers. It also serves as a reminder that things that are so often thought to be a sure thing, rarely are. It also resembles a tombstone to all the lives ruined, the lethal consequences that can come to those who risk, who chance, who gamble, who dream. It also personally tells me that what you will find to do at Salt Creek is nothing more than boring. Just when you think you've heard it all, Remember this one interesting fact. Even though I made it sound like that the black substance was correctly identified after all the hype, in truth, some experts correctly identified the black substance the same year it was found. So, why all the hype? It seems that all those people who wanted to get rich quick just wanted to listen to the experts 
that they wanted to listen to. Can anything today save Boring Town? I'll leave that for Sporticus to decide. Well, like me, I hope you've enjoyed today's story on Boring Town. It's a story which, with so many conflicting reports on oil, to drill or not to drill would have been a very slicky question. I'm surprised with so much traffic in the area that no one decided to build a church there. Why? Because literally you could say it is now really holy ground. I find it extremely ironic that the area is good to grow olives in and other similar vegetables. So it seems that the ground is good for oil, just not the type this one-sided town was looking for. Well, join me next week as we discuss the Green Flying Monster, a story which I even find scary to think about. Now, time to answer today's question. So, how many churches are there currently in the city of Adelaide? Contained within the city's boundary of parklands is eight churches. So the next logical question to ask is, is eight churches a lot for the city the size of Adelaide? And the answer to that is no. So why is Adelaide called the city of churches? No one today knows for sure when Adelaide was first dubbed the City of Churches. Most people cite a book written in 1873, entitled Australia and New Zealand, by Anthony Trollope. However, the term has been discovered to have been in use even before this, once in 1868 by a Baptist minister named Silas Mead, and back even further in 1867 in a letter addressed to an editor complaining that places of ill fame thrive and flourish in all parts of our city of churches. So is there no way to further narrow it down? Well, sort of. We know that the term muster started well after 1838. Why? Because guess what you need to earn the slogan, the city of churches? That's right, you need a church, and at least several of them. The oldest church was the Holy Trinity Anglican Church, built in 1838, followed by a Quaker house in 1840. But going back to Anthony Trollope's book, Australia and New Zealand, other than directly using the term city of churches, it also makes this further interesting statement. Adelaide is well provided with churches, so much so that this speciality has been noticed ever since its first foundation, which of course happened in 1836. Therefore, it was visioned to be a city of churches by its founders. This makes sense when you take into account that South Australia was the only state in Australia which was founded purely by free settlers, no convicts. These settlers mostly had their own religions, which they brought with them into a state which now allowed the freedom to practice and express your own religion. This of course attracted more settlers, especially from countries where certain religious freedom was not tolerated. Another quirk of South Australian settlement, which led it to being the city of churches, was that religious groups of any denomination were allowed to be granted a city acre, plus 
a parcel of non-city land, some sources claim about 40 acres. Given the size of city blocks, this made for a large number of sites. Different religious groupings within the same church were also eligible for the grants. The land could be used for any purpose, but it was primarily used for building churches. This was largely because of the high population density in the city. The non-city land tended to be used to endow schools or other religious establishments. Hence, churches began to grow very rapidly. In fact, the survey completed in 1900 revealed that uh, there were 33 chapels and churches, a synagogue and a mosque all within a square mile of the city. So, why was this so special? Not only did it shout religious freedom, but also remember back then there would have been no background noise pollution like there is today. So on Sunday, when all the different church bells rang all at the same time, the city would have really came to life. Of course, this same city would have really came to life again a couple of hours later with all the drunken reveries and fighting bouts with all the pubs around the place. I guess comedian Ross Noble said it best when he stated that being in Adelaide, the city of churches, is like being stalked by a flasher. So many churches that look the same that you start to think you're being followed by one. Then when it gets in front of you, it opens its two great flapping doors and flashes Sunday. It's interesting to note that on the 4th of October 1924, an article in the paper in bold heading stated that Adelaide had already lost its title to being the city of churches, and that even Port Pirie had more churches to every of its inhabitants than Adelaide had. And as stated before, Adelaide now seems to only have eight. I guess we can now pride ourselves as being a city of disappearing churches. Of course, we are still known as the city of serial killers. If there is a connection to be made there, I'll leave that for cult leader Rocco Leo to decide. Well, that concludes today's podcast. If you want to email me a request or question, or you have some information you would like to share on Salt Creek or Adelaide being the city of churches, you can email me at plentyofgas one word at y7mail.com or kyzka at y7mail.com Kiska being my nickname. Join me next time. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.